Now is the time we bring you the virtual stage of our 11th Achieving Optimal Health Conference at Georgetown University. To experience this talk with all the videos, slides, and graphics, head over to the BBNR website where you can enjoy the entire day of archives of nine incredible speakers for just $29. Go to bbrconsulting.us and click on store. One more time, visit our store at bbrconsulting.us. Thanks for staying curious and for living your best life with us. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. My talk today is about living mindfully in a very uncertain world. You may not know that I'm the youngest sibling in a family of five. I have four older brothers, all of whom I adore and who, in their own way, have influenced me to be the person I am today. I count myself very, very lucky. Full disclosure, our father was the 41st president of the United States, George H.W. Bush. And our brother, George W. Bush, was the 43rd president of the United States. And people, for some reason, are often surprised I'm such a strong advocate for mindfulness coming from the family that I grew up in. But in fact, it was one of my amazing brothers who was instrumental in starting me on the path to mindfulness. And it wasn't until I started preparing for these remarks that I realized it. My brother Marvin, one of my non-famous brothers, is the brother just older than me in the birth order. And for a time, he was the baby of our family until I arrived. And it's Marvin who started me on the path of stress reduction at a very early age and continued to, I'm putting this in quotes, teach me throughout my teens. And don't be fooled by how innocent he looks here. It really all began when I was in preschool. On a day, my mom, Barbara Bush, went out to do errands. You may know she was a prolific needle pointer. And she had left her scissors and materials in a bag she kept by the couch. Well, Marvin decided to fish the scissors out of her bag and cut most of my hair off. And this was the beginning of years of anxious moments growing up with four older brothers and one in particular. But that was fun growing up with my four brothers. And all kidding aside, I'm so happy to be here to talk about mindfulness. All of us are having challenges these days. There are people in our lives who are struggling. And I imagine if we went around this Zoom platform, each of us would have something in our lives we're distressed about, not the least of which is the pandemic. COVID-19 has touched all of us and we can't help but feel overwhelmed 
sad, angry, frustrated, you name it. Social distancing measures and wearing masks, while necessary, make us feel isolated and lonely and can increase our stress and anxiety. Learning to cope with stress in a healthy way will make you and the people you care about and those around you become more resilient. We can't escape problems and challenges in life because that's part of the package of life on earth. In a world of complete uncertainty, there's one thing I know to be true, and that is that we're all connected and that we're here to help each other and that the health of our relationships is the key to our overall health. So my intention and hope is that you will leave with something that will help you lead a healthier and more meaningful life today. I wanna begin by talking about the health of our minds. If you're of an age like me, you will remember a fundraising ad by the United Negro College Fund whose tagline was, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Well, I would amend that today by saying, a mind is a terrible thing to overlook. A lot goes on in our minds and it's important to take note of what happens there. I often wonder what the difference is between the brain and the mind. In fact, I asked that very question of Dr. Richard Davidson, who is the founder of the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin and the leading scientist and neurologist in this field. He made me feel better when he said even he, a top neuroscientist who studies the brain, wasn't sure. But I like this explanation that uses the example of a computer, and it goes like this. A computer requires hardware to perform its function. And the hardware needs software to make it run. Without the software, the hardware would be useless and vice versa. The brain is like the hardware on the computer and the mind is like the software. One can't function without the other. The brain is the physical place the mind resides. The mind is the manifestation of thought, perception, emotion, determination, memory, and imagination that takes place in the brain. Just as there are ways we can better take care of our brain, there are also ways we can better take care of our minds. And that's where mindfulness comes in. Those of you who have attended our conferences and workshops know that we always include mindfulness as an important tool, if not the most important tool, we can use to stay healthy. The practice of mindfulness is in its pop culture moment for sure, but it has been in existence in both Eastern and Western traditions for thousands of years in a variety of forms. And for thousands of years, people have been benefiting from mindfulness and meditation. Research now shows us that science is confirming these benefits. But many of us lead unconscious lives. Most of us spend our lives rushing from one thing to the next, 
thinking about the past and what we should have done, or thinking about the future and what we need to do, only to recognize that in reality, we have gained nothing and lost everything. What I mean is by racing through life, we risk missing a lot of the good things and quite possibly ignore important messages about our life, our relationships, and our health. This true story says it all. In Washington, D.C., at a metro station, before COVID, when we were out and about, on a cold January morning in 2007, a man with a violin played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During that time, over a thousand people went through the station, most on their way to work. This man played his violin continuously for 45 minutes. Of the 1,000 plus people who walked by, only seven stopped and listened for a short while. 20 more gave money but continued to walk at their normal pace. The man collected a total of $32.17. He finished playing and silence took over. No one noticed and no one applauded. There was no recognition at all. No one knew this. But the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written, with a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston, where the seats averaged $100 each to sit and listen to him play the same music. Joshua Bell was playing incognito in the DC metro station as part of a social experiment on mindfulness. So the question is, if we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world, playing some of the finest music ever written with one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, how many other things are we missing as we rush through life? Not only do we miss things, but as we ride the fast train to nowhere, we're actually compromising our health at the same time. This accelerated pace of life causes chronic stress. With stress, our built-in mechanism to respond to threatening situations, our fight or flight response is activated all the time causing our immune systems to be suppressed and opening the door to all kinds of diseases. If we're not rushing, we're most likely worrying instead, and the same holds true for worry. But we don't have to be rushing and worrying all the time. There really is another way to live. John Kabat-Zinn, a leader in the field of mind-body health, defines mindfulness this way. Mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And we like to add with kindness. It's simply moment-to-moment -moment awareness. And you could practice it with any activity in your life. When we're mindful, we witness our emotions, our ups and downs, and become aware of our reactions. When we become observers without judgment, 
we take the power away from the upset or the emotion and we begin to cultivate a calmness and strength. Eckhart Tolle, spiritual author, said it simply, right now, I'm okay. The more fully you inhabit the now, the more okay you are. When we're running on all cylinders or worrying about the details of our lives, mindfulness can restore our wholeness and keep us well. Mindfulness is not limited to a meditation pillow. It can be practiced out in nature, on our drive to the market, in our mundane daily tasks, and in our relationships. Each moment of our lives, from the most mundane to the most exhilarating, is an opportunity to become more mindful. Here are some simple things to try as we go through our day. While brushing your teeth, feel the stimulation of the brush on your gums, the taste and smell of the toothpaste and the coolness of the water when you rinse your mouth. When you're eating, feel the texture of the food in your mouth and the various flavors and aromas. Try not to think about other things while you're eating and don't think about your next bite until you've savored the current one completely. You can also practice mindfulness in relationships, which I'll talk about in a minute. But when talking with someone, for example, really listen and hear what they're saying without judging them, without thinking about what you want to say, because the truth is people just want to be seen, heard, and know that they matter. And last winter, I tried something different, a mindful listening walk. I have a little dog, Huey, who nudges me to get outside. And at the crack of dawn, leaving my phone behind one morning, he and I ventured out. Fortunately, behind my home, I have a park trail that I access behind my neighbor's house. Off we went to simply listen. And the first thing I noticed was the crunch of the snow under my boots. And immediately my mind began to wander. But I made a conscious effort to bring my mind back and became aware of the different bird melodies coming from above and below. And from there, I noticed the whisper of the breeze around me. And when the breeze picked up and became wind, I heard the sound of the icy bits hanging onto the branches come crashing down. And as I approached the stream that runs through the park, I heard the shallow water cascading over the rocky stream bed. And as I reached the end of the trail, I heard human life happening, cars moving over pavement, rushing to get someplace. And from there, I turned back to return home. After the walk, I felt an overwhelming sense of gratitude for nature, for the gift of hearing, for a way to create space in my day, and for life itself. So the point is, there are so many ways to practice mindfulness in our day, to be just present with what is. And when you find what works for you, it can be life-changing. 
Breathing is also a powerful tool we can use to reduce stress while promoting relaxation, calm, and inner peace. Dr. Weil says breath is the key to health and wellness, a function we can learn to regulate and develop in order to improve our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Breathing gives us life by bringing oxygen to our tissues and by stimulating our relaxation response. Even just pausing throughout the day to take a few full, deep breaths makes us feel good and is good for our health. Setting a timer on your watch or phone is a good reminder to just breathe. Breathwork is very big now, but it's of course not new. My favorite technique for anxiety, stress, and insomnia is the 478. It's very simple. You exhale completely through your mouth and then inhale through your nose for a count of four. Hold your breath for a count of seven and then exhale through your mouth for a count of eight. So let's give it a try and I'll count. You can begin the four, seven, eight cycle by doing it four times in a row in a setting where you're fully prepared to relax. And you can work your way up to eight cycles. Doing this technique or other controlled breathing techniques helps to reduce stress, increase alertness, lower our blood pressure and heart rate, and boost our immune system. Our breath is serious business and at our disposal at any time. There is also meditation, and meditation is the formal practice of mindfulness. It's simply learning to quiet our busy minds and learning to focus our attention using our breath. It's taking the time to stop, to be still, and to be deliberately mindful. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I've had a head full of crazy thoughts. And when I say crazy, I'm not kidding. Just to prove it to you, I recorded my thoughts one morning. They went like this, and please don't judge me. Today is going to be a great day. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get organized and answer all my emails, all those emails. I have so many emails to respond to. I should have answered some of them yesterday. Oh, my God. I'm never going to get to them all. I'm actually hungry, though. I'm going to eat a salad, though, today because I just need to. But I'll probably eat the cookies, too, and I'll get fatter. Do not eat the cookies, you idiot. My neighbor looks great. She's so skinny. I'll never be skinny. She hasn't eaten a cookie since 1970. I've eaten pounds of cookies since then. Ugh. And on and on it goes. Our minds become a storyteller, and it tells stories that aren't necessarily true. These stories and thoughts are what have us losing our temper or checking our phones incessantly or eating donut holes when you're not hungry, which I may or may not have done recently. Most of us assume that we're stuck with these thoughts or this voice in our heads, but the truth is we're not. 
When we meditate, we don't and can't suppress our thoughts, but we can become observers of these thoughts. We can acknowledge our thoughts without judgment and let them go. Sitting in meditation can be hard because we're used to rushing and achieving and just sitting is against our nature. It can also be uncomfortable because it can bring up painful things like fears, guilt, disappointments, and losses. But it's worth the effort. By training our minds, we can learn to calm the turbulence we all have in our heads. We don't want to block our thoughts out, nor do we want to feed them indefinitely. We do want to let them rise and dissolve on their own. We ideally want to become loving observers of our thoughts and then just let them pass. Interestingly, we don't find anything strange about spending years learning to read and write or learning professional skills or working on our physical bodies because we think this will benefit us in the long run. But it's really our mind that creates our experience of the world. So the question is, why don't we spend more time training our minds? If we transform the way we perceive things, we transform the quality of our lives. And at the top of the list is better health. Meditation does take practice, but the good news is there's no wrong way to do it. You don't have to be a yogi sitting on a mountaintop. And there are lots of different techniques you can try. For example, as part of our podcast series, we offer guided meditations for whoever would like to join because it's an easy technique that uses visualization to bring about awareness. The important thing is to try it because it's time for yourself that has enormous spiritual, emotional, and health benefits. And while I'm a big proponent of meditation, it isn't necessarily for everyone. And that leads me to our relationships because it's our relationships where we experience our greatest sense of well-being and happiness, or as with this woman, our greatest sense of frustration and unhappiness. According to the 80-year-old Harvard study of adult development, our relationships are the single greatest factor determining how long we live and how happy we are. As the study found, more than money, success, fame, or even our genes, our close relationships keep us happy, healthy, and living longer. We can't talk about our well-being without talking about our relationships. The study also found that our satisfaction with our relationships at age 50 is a much better predictor of our health at 80 years of age than our cholesterol levels are. Maybe you're surprised to learn about the impact our relationships have on our health as I was. In all my years in the wellness field, speaking with and interviewing health experts, no one talked about our relationships as a wellness issue. And yet the scientific evidence is in, and it's frankly overwhelming. Our relationships matter. They matter for our health, our longevity, and our happiness. My mom was ahead of the science of relationship health and even talked about relationship health in her famous 
Wellesley College Commencement Address in 1990. She asked the graduates to consider three choices she made in her life. The first was to believe in something larger than yourself. The second was to find the joy in life. And the third was this. The third choice that must not be missed is to cherish your human connections, your relationships with family and friends. For several years, you've had impressed upon you the importance to your career of dedication and hard work. And of course, that's true. But as important as your obligations as a doctor, lawyer, or business leader will be, you are a human being first. And those human connections with spouses, with children, with friends, are the most important investments you will ever make. Realizing this, my sister-in-law, Tricia, who co-founded this conference with me, she and I developed a wellness practice that focuses on our relationships, which we call MC Squared, which stands for Mindful Community Collective, which is intended to help people create healthy relationship habits. What exactly is MC Squared? Traditional mindfulness is the art of staying present. And as I explained earlier, it's about being aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment without judgment. It's certainly easier to be mindful when we're alone or taking a walk. The next step is to bring this mastery to the complexity of our day-to-day -day relationships. How can I stay fully present and attentive to the person I'm with? How can I approach my relationships with more compassion and less judgment? How can I stop feeling stuck in my relationships and make them more creative and fun? We've put together six habits to help people do this. Deep listening, turning judgment into curiosity, finding your breath, speaking your truth, practicing forgiveness, and embracing joy. We have classes that walk people through this, and we're also in the process of writing a book about it. It's really become our number one focus because we believe it's that important. In the wellness world, we talk a lot about brain health or gut health, etc., but rarely do we talk about relationship health. Yet science tells us healthy relationships are a vital component of health and well-being. Conversely, the health risks from feeling alone or isolated or from having toxic relationships, all of which has been magnified in the pandemic, are comparable to the risks associated with cigarette smoking, blood pressure, and obesity. I share all of this with you because Mindfulness, breathwork, meditation, and nurturing healthy relationships, what we call Mindful Community Collective, have been life-changing for me. Believe me, I'm not perfectly mindful all the time. That's impossible, but I do have these important tools at my disposal when life gets bumpy or when I'm afraid and things feel overwhelming and uncertain. And when I use them consistently, it opens up room in my life for a little more joy. Joy is that beautiful element that gives texture and flavor to our daily life. Without it, we're left with closed hearts and minds. We need to learn how to find it 
grow it, and share it. So thank you for being here at the Achieving Optimal Health Conference and for being part of our community. And we have a lot more to share with you today. Hello, everyone. We are going on 20 years now in our journey with BBNR to bring holistic health to the mainstream. It has really all come from a desire to find ways to flatten out the bumps in the road of our lives and be grateful for when days go well. So much innovation and insight is coming out on health and wellness on a daily basis. It's sometimes hard to keep up. We are so grateful for the speakers who join us on this podcast and to all of the guests that come to our Georgetown conference and to those that join us at Gasparilla every year to share their wisdom. At the end of the day, we hope that we have made you curious enough to try some of these tips in your day-to-day life. We hope that you felt their impact on your life as well as the lives of the people that you love. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.